Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Bullhagen. This is Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Yes, that is, I said the Talks and Tasting Studio. Talks. <laughs> Not, for a while, Vicker, people thought we were saying the toxic tastings. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like that. Yeah. I brought a toxic tasting, to be honest. All right. What, what'd you bring? Well, this, uh, I have brought two women into the studio. <laughs> I mean, I, what am I going to say? That's that's the name of the beverage, so I can get some mileage out of that. But yeah, two women. That is a, a beer from the New Glarus Brewing Company. Uh Good friend of mine got me some of this for Christmas. Okay. <laughs> so thank you, Pastor. And that's, a, I think I already said it's from Wisconsin, the a small brew pub or brewery up there. And let's see, what do they say this is exactly? I can't, oh, it's a lager. So it's a lager style beer. So that's well, what I'll be having. How many can people can say that the pastor got them two women for Yeah, probably Christmas? not too many, but yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> want to go online and, and type that in a lot. No, so. no, no. <laughs> Let's see if I can get it open. I have approached the New Glarus uh, bottle opener. Yeah, it is a New Glarus bottle opener. There it is. I have approached successfully the two women. (laughs) I shall now Now partake. partake. Yeah, Yeah, good job. We think alike. (laughs) All right, here it goes. Yeah, it's it's pretty good for for being women. (laughs) What? What's gotten into you? It's a lifting program or something. Yeah, all those weightlifting and <laughs> no, it is good. It's it's very smooth. Um, I really don't know the definition of a lager, to be honest. Like, what distinguishes a lager from something else? I don't really know. But uh, I think I think you, the word lager is used a lot for American beers, so it's probably like an American style. Okay. Um, well, that's good. Maybe Bergwood, it's got Bergwood now. Yeah, we need Berg. Yeah, maybe a slight taste of flowers, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, very good. Well, did you have one with you? I, I didn't bring one. That's all right. No. That's uh, all this right. one's unopened. Maybe you could... No. It's room temperature. That's been in here forever. Oh, okay. Yeah. What do you have, Pete? I, I don't have anything with me, actually. Well, I'm going to have to share. It's, it's a shame. I should, You know, I actually was thought about bringing something on the way in, but... But then I for, I didn't I ate dinner too slowly. Oh yeah, so. you got busy at the last second. And I wanted yep. to put together a top twelve list. Well, so. That's a good idea. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, uh, Vicar, what am I preaching on? By the way, actually, why don't we go with yours? Okay, yeah. Your sermon comes first. I have the New Year's Eve service, and so I'll be doing an epistle sermon this time, which is the first for me. Right. Uh, Wait, yeah. Which uh, reason being is. I'm tired of listening to you talk about end times. Yeah. So I told you to preach on the epistle. <laughs> That's right. Because, yeah, the gospel reading uh, touched on the end times yet yet again. <laughs> and that's all I ever want to talk about. So I had to preach on the epistle <laughs> instead. Okay. So, and the epistle reading is Romans chapter 8, which is, of course, pretty famous in, mm-hmm. in amongst Lutherans. And I'll go ahead and read that if that's you know, okay. you know, by the way, I want to say this. You know, chapter 8 is so poetic, right? Yeah. Right, and then it's, it's happened a few times where Vickers preached on Romans eight, and I think to myself, you know what, Paul just says it way better than you, Vicar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I mean, that's hardly fair. The man's a genius. <laughs> he did like public speaking for a living. Well, I mean, I guess technically we're getting there. We're, we're supposed to be that. <laughs> yes. All right. But I, if I can, can right. I? Well, I, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so happy that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, gets the vicar's pr- approval again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my strong critical powers are improving of St. Paul. <laughs> All right. I will go ahead and read. It's Romans 8, 31 through 39. Say it like you mean it, Vicar. <laughs> the part I just said or the part I'm about the to reading, say? The reading, yeah. The reading. Part. Yeah. Yeah, the reading. Okay. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake... We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right. That's it. <laughs> so uh, what struck you in your study of that text, Vicar? Uh, so really amazingly, maybe not that amazingly, but the first line, if God is for us, who can be against us? Um, and then the rest of it is sort of, the rest of that reading really is expanding on the first statement. I mean, Paul even gives kind of a, a list of the type of, of, of troubles that we will experience in this life. But in the but in the end, right? Or ultimately, you might want to say, like, how do these? What weight do these things have compared to the fact that God is for us? And they they don't have any. They don't have. And one of the things that I stumbled across in in one of the commentaries I looked at, and I'm reusing it in my sermon, is that the phrase, the very short phrase, "God for us," is pretty much a summary or thesis statement for the entire Bible. God for us. You know, God substituted for us and God is for us in the sense of an advocate, Christ Jesus, our advocate. And so I really, I stuck with that. And and interestingly, like as an epistle, it'd be easy to just sort of stay in the theological generalities, I would, I would say. Uh, But happily enough, my supervisor said it would be okay if I used a historic example of somebody who lived their life like they believed these words. And so, so it came to be that I'm writing a Reformation sermon (laughs) <laughs> for New Year's Eve, and I will be talking about the life of Martin Luther and how in his life he clearly demonstrated that God was for him and, and how God really was for him, and he lived that way as well. Because he had, he was a, an example of, like, all the things that he talks about of being separated from the love of God, Paul. Right. I mean, those are all things that you could easily point to Martin Luther and say, yeah, these things were against him. Yeah, I mean, when you say that the world was against someone, I mean, nobody 
maybe other than Jesus, ever had so much truth to that statement that the world was against him. All of the superpowers, the emperor and the pope, they knew Martin Luther's name and they were opposed to him. And he had to make uh, kind of make a choice. Is he going to speak some convenient lies to, uh, to satisfy these voices that were opposed to him, these superpowered uh, superpowers that were opposed to him? Or is he going to continue to speak the truth of the gospel? And so he lived his life like he fully understood that God was for him. So, so Vicar, because the occasion is that you're preaching this on New Year's. Right. Right. New Year's Eve, but yeah, of course. Well, you'll preach it on New Year's too. Oh, well, that's true. I, I, I will be preaching also you're, you're, on New Year's You Day. got a call from your circuit visitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. asked you to do that. I'll be covering a couple of... <laughs> How many different ways can we refer to Bullhagen in one <laughs> Well, you added you one got just Nickard now. supervisor, circuit visitor, my good friend. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Did I say, did you, uh, supervisor? Uh, father of producer export extraordinaire. Yeah. The father of the producer. <laughs> the producer of the producer. Yes. <laughs> Are you like friend of the executive director or whatever? <laughs> so getting back to the text. Yes. Um, your, your, uh, your vicarage supervisor had a very interesting comment is, Hey, let's also talk about it being news New Year's, right? Right. Yeah. I had to figure out a way to frame <laughs> it up to be about New Year's <laughs> Eve, not just so, so how, how do you wrap that discussion with Martin Luther right. with how we might consider, uh, uh 2022 right. and 2023, right. The, the epic changing of calendars. <laughs> right. Well, the, the way I frame it is that in significant ways, 2022 is not all that different from 1522. And that is in the heart of the Reformation. We remember that the the, the Diet of Worms, the imperial uh, gathering to to condemn Martin Luther was in 1521. So I, I make the point that there are some similarities. There are the People still ignore the word of God. People still want to silence the truth. And then they still want Christians to speak convenient lies rather than tell the hard truth. And even in our own country, we've seen Christians go on trial, persecuted by the government for living a Christian life and saying Christian things. We we think of the bakers and the um, and the the, the florists mm. who who stuck to the truth of what marriage is and were persecuted for it. And there there is you know when you think of New Year's, there is kind of a rhythmic cycle that I think. Um, could be. I don't think it necessarily fits with your sermon necessarily, but you know, a lot of times um, I hear pastors kind of say, "Well, New Year's—that's not really. It's really the, the eve of the circumcision, right? It's it's, it's kind of a made-up thing because you're just changing the calendar." But I would I would to push up against that is is there is a rhythm to life, and there is rhythm to the church year certainly, and. For example, when we talk about baptism, we say uh, that, all right, you just burped up Sorry. two women on the microphone. Let's I, I did, try not yeah. to do that. I was that. trying not to. I didn't move away in time. <laughs> uh, all right. There's your title. Vicar burps up two women. Oh, goodness. No. Well, I'm It'll probably just be called two women. <laughs> all right. Anyways, but what I was going to say is there is a rhythm and a cycle to, to life. We talk about baptism, you talk about the old Adam by daily repentance and contrition being drowned and die. Mm-hmm. We talk about Sunday being the first and the eighth day, so to speak, the beginning of the week and the end of week. And all a part of that is, is this, is 
uh, being mindful of the day, of the week, and the need for repentance and the, the gift of forgiveness. And there is that opportunity. Um, I, like I said, less for your sermon because I didn't, I didn't want right. you know, to pigeonhole you. I wanted you to do your thing. <laughs> um, uh, but in, in, in other sermons, in other contexts, to be able to say, now it might just seem like you're another, or just flipping a calendar, but there it's, it is a new year. And just like we, we take significance in a day, in a week, right? there is significance, I believe, in a year. You well, know, I think so, there yeah. a year, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, even years had specific meanings. Right. Um, and and uh, I do think that New Year's could get another opportunity to look back on the year. What did we learn? How do we need to repent? How do we enter in the next year with the forgiveness? Now, it could be to use the language of your sermon, right? It is uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You could That gives you an opportunity to look at the old year. Like that old year is a year that Jesus died for, right? Right. And if, if you have you know, misgivings about what transpired this year, what you have done this year, all those things to, to think of God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you. And that is why you could look ahead to the upcoming year with, uh, with it being a new year, a new year of hope, a new year of grace, a new year of knowing that if God is for me, if he gave up his own son, more than that, he also rose from the dead. Yeah. Um, by the way, Vicar, Paul, you can steal this from Paul. Okay. okay? You maybe heard this. I, I've stolen this from Paul often too, is to use this homiletical way of describing, explaining. Like, if this is true, how much more? Right. right. So that's what Paul does. You know, if, if, uh, if, if, if he is for us, you know, more than that, also raised him from the dead. How much more will he? Right. He watch over you and give you hope and peace of the resurrection. That that even death itself, none of these things can separate you from God. Right. Um. So so that that, that is a, a kind of a really powerful. And I and I will say because I do hear pastors sometimes kind of poo poo New Year's. It's just a changing of a calendar. Uh. You know. <laughs> but but you know the Bible does have significance of. The changing of a day, a week, a year, a season. That's all over. And, and using those times for reflection, for growth, for uh, applying God's word in, in a different way. Because a, a, a reflecting on a day is a little different than reflecting on a year. Right. You know? Uh, so let's, let's use your weightlifting as an example. Okay. All right? So uh, you can reflect on a day. And you can say, okay, yeah, today I was able to bench this much. That was a pretty good day. I would like it more and some little something else. But then if you look at, well, a year ago, right. I was able to, you know, there is kind of a, a, a big picture of, you know, where was I a year ago? Where were we a year ago? What has happened this past year? That, that is different than looking at the last day or the last week. That that can be helpful, that, that it, it kind of... It's not insignificant, I would say. No, I agree. I mean, our, our calendar is a good reminder. Like every time we update the year, whether you want to refer to it as AD 
or CE for common era, it doesn't matter. It still points to the birth of Jesus Christ, and nobody can get out of that, no matter what they call it. We are looking at the most significant event in history, the most significant possible event in history, where the eternal God became flesh and blood and joined his creatures on earth. I mean, and the calendar shows that that is the center of history. It is the center of reality. So I always like the calendar. All right. So let's get on to Sunday then. Okay. All right. I I did something pretty sneaky. Don't tell anybody, okay? Or don't tell any listeners. But I actually combined gospel readings. Oh, did you? I did. If you look at the look at the cover, read the title of the Sunday. Well, it's circumcision and presentation of ah. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the circumcision is just the one verse. Oh, yeah. And the presentation is the following verses. So right. I, uh, I don't tell anybody. I kind of put those two together. <laughs> now I suspect that you could have preached an entire sermon off of one verse. I, I think you have that oh, yeah. ability. <laughs> I haven't written my sermon. You want me to preach a sermon right now on it? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't stop you. I mean, also, like, when it is All right. time to read it, it's, it's, it's a long section there. So let's just do this. Read read uh, the first verse. Okay. And, uh, and I will give you a little bit of a sermon from it. How does that That's sound? That's great. I would love so to. So read the first verse. I want to have it in front of me. All right. So, here it is. This is Luke 2, 21. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right. So, uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear brother and brother in Christ, when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, he told Joseph, give him this name, the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And lo and behold, when just eight days old, what do we find? We find our Lord Jesus in the temple to be circumcised. So as he was eight days old, fulfilling and given the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He would save his people from their sins by being one of us and being perfect one of us, fulfilling all of God's demands in our place, all of God's laws in our place. Everything that God had commanded, Jesus would fulfill on our behalf. So we find the one who would save us from our sins, eight days old, being circumcised. What was he doing? At eight days old, he was fulfilling the law for us. When he was circumcised, you were circumcised. So when you think of how do I know my sins are forgiven? Well, if he at eight days old was seeking and fulfilling God's law in our behalf, brother, how much more through the temptation in the wilderness, through the giving of the word, the teaching of the word, being the very word amongst the people, being anointed by the Holy Spirit and the dove, the voice of the Father booming from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. How much more as he took his place on the cross in our place did he show that he in fact was Jesus, the one to save us from our sins. 
at eight days old, we find your Lord already shedding his blood in your place. Him giving a perfect circumcision so that through your baptism you could be covered with his perfect circumcision, covered with his blood, so that you can be born again with God as your true father in the house of Abraham and Jesus your brother. Eight days old, our Lord shed his blood for you. How much more then can you know of the promised forgiveness? How much more can you know what the angel had told Joseph earlier when he said, give him the name Jesus? How much more are we then a part of God's eternal family with an eternal inheritance from the one at eight days old was already working to bring you salvation? There you go. Amen. That was great. I uh, see how I tried to use that uh, the same kind of. Yeah, you, you, did, you gave me advice. <laughs> I gave and, you an example. And, and then you did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, there you go. You want me to talk more about that or <laughs> what struck you about it? Um, well, I had never thought about Jesus bleeding for me on the eighth day, but of course we know he was fulfilling the law. Mm-hmm. On our behalf. So that is absolutely true. And I'd never thought of that before. He already bled for us on the on day eight. And, and, and if you think about it, since we know that he did this in our place, that his circumcision is our circumcision. Think of all the promises that God gave in circumcision. Like mm. this is how you know that you are. Yeah, the chosen right. people. The promise is for you. Through circumcision, you know this promise. This is how you know a visible sign. Every time you look down there, you see, right? That's true. <laughs> right? That every, every time a child is conceived, you know, that's, I mean, that's, there, there's a reason why it's. That yeah, it wasn't know. our nose. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I, I see a lot of people walking out around with like what looks like to be circumcised nose. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's a West Coast thing too. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's in Harry Potter, right? I'm uh, thinking, like, and I did Voldemort. watch all those, so, hmm. Yeah, that's... Voldemort doesn't really have a nose. Oh, yes. Okay, Voldemort. There you go. <laughs> I should have got that a lot faster Come than that. now, man. Oh, my goodness. I, I lost my nerd credential yeah. just then. Well, Peter, well, you know how many Harry Potters I've sat through. <laughs> I don't know. Probably, like, a quarter of a movie all told. Right. Uh, unless I went to, took one of you to the theater, which I don't remember doing <laughs> for that one. Yeah. I'm just sitting in the uh, corner asking stupid questions the whole time. Uh, so I, I saw the movies when they came out, my kids were kind of the perfect age for it at the time. And then it got to the point where six of the seven or seven of the eight movies, whatever had come out. And I became really concerned that the way, you know, I, I, I go on the internet and I just knew somebody was going to spoil that last movie for me. So I, between the, the second to last and last movie, I read all seven books in a row to make sure nobody would spoil for me the last movie. (laughs) Wow. So they were good books. It turned out they were they were nice to read, but uh, it was quite a commitment. I remember uh, um, Peter. He was he was very smart as a young boy. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes. Well, what happened? <laughs> he blew me yeah, right. away because you know you know me like so. My ability to read long books, I read in spurts. Yeah, yeah, that's how I I, I digest things, right? So to, to read like a long novel or a story was. Uh, 
Hmm. was interesting. I had trouble visualizing what I was reading. If I could hear it out loud, maybe different. Hmm. And and so Peter was, uh, what was the first of the lion, the... The Witch in the Wardrobe movie that we went to see. Remember that, Peter? I think the first one might have been just called that. I think it is called that. You're thinking of the Chronicles of Narnia, and so the first right. movie was called The Lion, right. the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Peter, when did that come out? It's, a, it's come out multiple times, it. but it's... The it original. The book or the movie? The movie. 2005. 2000, how old would you have been in 2005? Nine. Nine. Yeah. So I took him to see the movie when he was nine years old yeah and uh i asked him how the movie was and he was visibly disappointed do you remember yeah i do remember do you know why he was visibly disappointed i don't know because it looks so different on screen than it did in his head nice that's that's like yeah i get it (laughs) i was like wow it's kind of like when hannah took a tour of the studio she was kind of freaked out Oh, okay. She couldn't handle how big it was. Yeah, much fancier than she'd ever imagined. (laughs) Which is why, by the way, I I struggle with movies about Jesus. Yeah. For that very reason. It might give people mental images that, Mm. uh, and and a way of viewing when they hear God's word from that time forward, which some of it may not actually be biblical. Right. Like, when you have the words, you have every word being true, right? A picture Mm -hmm. is worth a thousand words. Yeah. So... A, a verb to chapter is in a picture is thousands and thousands of words more than the words written in scripture. Hmm. You can't just have the word in a movie. You have to add all these things to it. And so you're taking guesses on an image and on, on all sorts of things that right. you don't actually know. And you could be creating mental images of things that might be different than the way it actually happened, which could change how people view or hear the very reading of God's word. Right. So, but so going back to Peter, that's what I was, I was amazed as a father. Like, oh, this this cat is different than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was he was a, such a voracious reader, hmm. you know. Because that, that's, you know, you must have been eight when you read it. That's not, I don't Probably, know. Probably, yeah. That's not easy reading for an eight-year-old. No. no. They didn't really, even though they were kind of children's books, I think it was at a time when the, the level of the reading when C.S. Lewis wrote was just generally higher. Right. So. And to read it well enough to be visibly disappointed that everything looks so different. <laughs> what do you yeah. remember about that, Peter? Uh, not a whole lot. Hmm. I remember the fight scene being way not as good. No, oh, interesting. Way not as good. As, as the book? Yeah, because there's like actual battle going on and they weren't showing any of the battle. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I when, when I went back finally to read the book, my my I was also disappointed. I, I thought to myself, man, this is way inaccurate. Hmm. Yeah, when you went back, when you went back and read the book, <laughs> right. when you finally did that at some point, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, like this book isn't true to the movie at all. Hmm. <laughs> Well, you know, I was really pleased with the Lord of the Rings movies that I think started coming out in, was it 2001, the first, the uh, Fellowship of the Ring? Right. I thought those did a good job of of taking care to reflect the artwork that had been associated with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings for five decades prior to those movies coming out. So I think it can be done. I mean, there were still things that they did, like they made uh, some female characters in the movie have 
more prominent roles than they did in the books because, well, you, when you know it's Hollywood, they're, they're not going to be able to help themselves. <laughs> so uh, we should continue on. Um, uh, I want to start uh, our next discussion with, we have an email from Hannah. Uh, Peter, you want to go ahead and read that? She sent us a couple emails. Oh, yeah. First one is to... Uh, there you go. She sent one mostly just to Vicar, I think. It says... Uh, Diet Club. Oh, you're right. I don't like it. <laughs> she doesn't like my phrase, Diet Club. <laughs> oh, I'd suggest forming an accountability group instead where people could choose a wider variety of goals and keep each other accountable. That's what she says. Yeah. Oh. So like a, a discipleship I mean, she's club. probably right. What am I going to do? <laughs> a discipleship club. I love it. <laughs> nah, it'll be my diet ministry. <laughs> oh, there's so many words. Hannah, uh, you're such a great writer, but there's so many words. Okay. Uh, first, Pastor Bullhagen, I so appreciated the breakdown of ministry to who administers what to whom. That is a helpful heuristic for analyzing whether someone is using ministry in a relatable way or in a borderline heretical way. Uh, the last straw for me, impelling me to finally present the question to you, was when another homeschool mom responded to a request for help with something like, I can help out as long as I don't have to be on time. Being early is not my ministry. <laughs> wow. It might be your vocation. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or a reasonable Now I can better understand why that is such a nonsensical statement. Yeah. Second, I appreciate uh, I appreciated listeners Michael's uh listener Michael's additional analysis as it related to church hierarchy. I think that that's what bugs me about the overuse of discipleship too. Christ spoke the Great Commission to the Twelve Apostles, who had been with him constantly for three years. Seminarians approach a similar kind of discipleship through their years of early study and vicarage. By the end of their apprenticeship, they have the knowledge, skills, and divine call for teaching and baptizing. I, as a mother and community member, have a lesser knowledge and skill set and have not a divine call, so I practice so-called discipling largely in my own home with my children. This work is nothing to be sneezed at, for sure, but I don't feel comfortable using the same terminology for my work as for a pastor's work. Hmm. After all, as Paul wrote, And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, <laughs> and uh, like Gretchen. Hannah leaves a comment, like Gretchen, hmm. and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight through 30 So sure, I will keep sharpening my iron against your iron in order to level up and someday work miracles, but my <laughs> gift is firmly in the help others camp at this point, especially if the help involves getting dressed or going potty. That's her ministry. <laughs> the potty ministry. <laughs> that as long as too. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> the potty ministry. Yeah. Uh, and as long as I'm going on and on, I'll throw in another gripe. Follower of Jesus. What does that mean? If someone puts that that in their Twitter profile, am I to understand that they have forsaken their unbelieving family and friends to devote themselves to the Word and sacrament, or am I being too harsh with that one? Hmm. Uh, and we can get back to that. But she also says, finally, I enjoyed listening to the animal, annual Christmas party. I, I see my invitation got lost in the mail again. That's okay. 
Jonah's voice was a nice addition, and the four of you had such nice blend for the hymn sing. Oh, nice. A blessed fourth day of Christmas to you, Hannah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed I listened to the this, this song, and it sounded like like uh, there were three conjoined in one solid voice, and then the vicar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like a brilliant trilogy of voices plus vicar. <laughs> what can I say? It runs in the family. <laughs> um, so uh, I will say... Um, I think about uh, the disciple thing, and I've, I'll talk about this my, this word a little bit more in my top twelve list. Okay. Um, when you look at the the phrase "follower of Jesus," it's it's another one of those words, and it could be on my honorable mention for my top twelve list, which mm-hmm. I'll get in a second, because people think it's just a law thing, maybe. So I think um, to be a follower of Jesus, it could mean on the one hand, you know, he is the shepherd, and and we are the sheep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it could be like uh, it could be a way of emphasizing though that Jesus is just there to teach the law, like do what he does, like yeah. Simon says, which is not a helpful way. Um, you could look at being a follower of Jesus in this way. Uh, Jesus said, "Take up your cross and follow me." Yeah, which means uh, um, more so living a life in the cross, living a life for the next life and uh, being subject to his will over your own. Um, but if you, if you look at that, that even that though is, is something that happens to you in a lot of ways. Like, mm. like for example, going back to the discipleship, how are disciples made? Disciple is made this way, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son mm-hmm. and of the Holy spirit. It's not a deciding to be, it's not emptying, entering a discipleship program. You make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them to keep, not obey, hmm. keep. Why is that different? Well, some translations have obey, which is not a good translation. Keep all that I have commanded you. What's the difference? Obey means, oh, you're a follower by doing oh yeah you obey jesus but uh there are way more things where where it's keeping keep my word feed my sheep um uh uh, built on the rock Hmm. you know the house built on solid ground um uh keeping the mysteries so you have the parable of the talents using the gifts that God has given you when it comes to baptism, when it comes to his word, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. So teaching, keep all that I have commanded you, do this in remembrance of me, holding on to the Lord's Supper. Um, his command to forgive uh, through the office of the keys, that's keeping. Yeah. And, and that's not when you use the word obey or discipleship, it's just making it uh, a, a big, what would Jesus do? Mm. without actually holding to, because Jesus does a lot that for us that we could never do for ourselves. That's what we just talked about with this circumcision. Yes, we did. Yep. So I think uh, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, it falls into the category where it could mean a lot of meaningful things. But because it is used in a lot of not helpful things. Yeah, tritely. Tritely, and jargon, mm-hmm. jargonized, so to speak, where people use it to mean 
whatever they want to or however they feel like it, meaning, you know, but, but, you know, the word, the the phrase follower of Jesus is used in the New Testament in various places. Right. Um, But, uh, but how it's used may be, may be different. It could be even used in this way. Uh, Everyone has heard this way overused phrase, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious, right? Right. Right. Well, what does that mean? You know, it means I'm superstitious, by the way. That is exactly what that means. <laughs> right. And and so I'm a, it could mean I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not necessarily into this like church thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, it could be that, too. So I think you've triggered me. <laughs> That's another word that gets used too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that brings me to the top 12 list. Number 12. No, sorry. Oh, I man. It. That's terrible. Okay. Peter, can you believe this guy? <laughs> you know, it's it almost sounds like we're we're listening to a past pod, podcast episode or something. Like, I was distracted. Like we're recording this in the past oh, for the future. No. You know? Oh, it was going so well, Vicar. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Okay, you want me to do that, though? Is that the implication? No, he just got done playing it. <laughs> Pay attention, man. <laughs> what is going on? I don't know. <laughs> uh, what is the percent alcohol on this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, my top 12 list is another top 12 list of, and I'm looking, I might have 13. So I'll have to, I've got, I have a list without them being numbered, which is always a deadly <laughs> thing. It's like the 13 deadly sins. Right. <laughs> so I, I have uh, 13. Uh, words or phrases that are often overused or misunderstood. Right on. So, so ways that maybe are just thrown out there and, and used without thinking that might have like a good, a good meaning, but then it loses it by how it's used by all sorts of people. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I might actually step on a few toes with some of these. Ooh. Is stepping on Spicy. toes one of those phrases? No, it is oh, not. Oh, it's not. Okay. No, it's not. So top 12, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say top 12 ministry slash discipleship phrases that are overused or misunderstood. Yeah, Does that make sense? Flows right off That is a tongue. long title. Yeah, let's see. That is a super long. But as we go through... Mm-hmm. Can you come up with something a little bit more precise? Like, yeah. Let's uh, see. Is there any way to shorten that? Oh yeah. We just have to think about it for a minute. Let's see. We're gonna do that. Yeah, I know. How about I give you the list, and when we're done, we'll give it a new title. All right. Don't forget, Victor right. was honest. <laughs> okay. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. As much as those phrases do. All right. Uh, number twelve. Number twelve. Number twelve. Stewardship. The reason why is this. I mean, there's a point to steward, being good stewards, right? But, like, as soon as people hear the word stewardship, a lot of people, their eyes glaze over. Yeah. And uh, and so we spend so much time explaining stewardship. Like, okay, it's not just, like, giving money. It's using all the things that God has given you, realizing it all comes from him. And we spend so much time explaining it hmm. that we don't... We don't get as much done, and it just becomes this buzzword that just kind of gets in the way. Hmm. Do you think there's a modern equivalent that works better, and so we should just 
forget the older word and move on to... I would say this. I would say just be more specific in what you're talking about. Okay. Talk about time. Uh, Talk about money. Mm-hmm. Talk about vocation. Talk about those things because eh, stewardship, it is like becomes so many, such a loaded word that doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. You can use the word steward, certainly. Be of good stewards of your family. Be good stewards with your money. But just throwing a word out, stewardship. We need a stewardship program. Mm -hmm. We need, maybe that's just the, the, the pastor of almost 25 years coming out, but. Yeah. But. Ever since I've I can be, have been a pastor, there's been uh, all these pushes and and certainly uh, we need to talk about money and we need to talk about finances because the, you know that's part of God's law. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think that that's code word for money, and somebody's uncomfortable to say that we need to talk it, about. It's money. It's almost like like a protective thing. We're going to talk about stewardship. No, no, we're just not going to talk about money. <laughs> we're going to pile on a bunch right. of other stuff. <laughs> we're, we're having a stewardship program because we're, we're uh, 200 grand in the can, but, but we're, we're not just talking about money here. Yeah, we're going to talk about being efficient with your time. <laughs> <laughs> right. See what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, I think people would be honest and saying, okay, we're having a program because we need more money. <laughs> right. Right. We cut to the chase. <laughs> right. To use another overused phrase. Right. We, we just... <laughs> We've gotten away from, we're so afraid to say it like it is sometimes. It, so that that's another case. That's the one where, yeah, like, of course, I have a national, uh, natural aversion to any word that ends with ship. Because hmm. usually, uh, you know, it just seems to, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, well, from now on, I'm going to refer to myself as being on my vicar ship. All right. <laughs> Sinking. Yeah. <laughs> I ship that. <laughs> All right. Number 11. Um, now, this one, I have, I put two words together because it's kind of the same idea. Okay. Okay. And that is, uh, the first word is evangelism. Yeah. And the second word I have in there is witness. Okay. Okay. Now, if this, some of these might be stepping on toes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not mine, you know. Uh, well, we like even our synod. We, you know, it's a good thing to to have like mission witness. What is a like the latest logo thing? Mission. I don't remember. I don't know. I, I'm it, just thinking. Mark me, obviously. We had a board of evangelism at my. We have one here too, and it was it was one person, and it didn't. I mean, at any rate, I probably shouldn't. But but, <laughs> but that now you're explaining the purpose of why that word is a problem. And how it's used. Mm -hmm. It's a, the work of a committee. Yes, that was the intention of, for it to be a committee right. position. Right. And uh, and witness. Witness is a is a very very biblical. Says is evangelical. Oh like. yeah, I hope right. so. It's like they're they're very the biblical. And because of how it's used, though, yeah, people equate that with program again. Mm -hmm. Right. And not with vocation. Hmm. So, so for example, how many evangelism programs talk about the importance of raising children? How many evangelism programs uh, talk about the vocation of father and mother? 
I would say 90% of people in the pews are there because of a father yeah. and a mother. Yep. Their parents. Yep. But, but that doesn't fit the evangelism program. No, it doesn't. It's more about finding people in the streets to, and convincing them to come to church. It seems like mm-hmm. that's the emphasis. So, so I think, well, the last one, actually vocation, I use vocation as, as part of it. And I think vocation is also a good word for this too, because when you talk about witness and evangelism, a part of that is being a neighbor, a coworker, mm-hmm. a friend. And, uh, those are the people that the church has great influence. If you're a good friend to someone, yeah, right? If they know that you have their best interests in mind, who are they going to listen to? Someone who has an evangelism pamphlet they're stuffing in your door? Right. Or someone who has shown years of vested interest in you and your life and your family? Hmm. Hmm. Now, is that evangelism, witness? Now, that being said, I mean, it is good to have it before the mind, in the front of the people saying, okay, uh, how be mindful of being a witness right. to your friends and to your family. Um, and, and do it, but when, he, when it becomes a program, a witnessing, it just becomes a little less genuine. It's, I am following someone else's program. Yeah, holding and, it at arm's length. And today's people, they see right through that. Right. Um, so I, I, that's why they're very biblical words that, uh, hmm. uh being an evangelist is a, a messenger of good news. And now that could be also fall in the category of, of ministry. You know, Paul was an evangelist. Right. Right. What do you, what good news are you giving? How are you giving it? Hmm. Um, that's where vocation comes in again. Right? Are you a pastor? Are you a neighbor? Are you a friend? Are you a father? Are you a mother? Are you a son? Uh, are you a worker? Right? Right. But I think that's why vocation also here uh, could be a, a, a good also of, of placing those words, evangelism, witness, in a better context of thinking, where am I? Where am I called? Who is placed in my life? Because when we make it a committee— in a program, which every church, almost almost every, has some sort of a evangelism committee, mm-hmm. right? And so people think, oh, well, that's the committee's responsibility. Right. That's not my area of expertise. That's not my ministry. Oh, yeah. But the word vocation places everybody has vocation. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a station in life. And that is a much better way of talking about what happens in evangelism and in witness. So that is number 11. And and Hannah probably will find these words, some of these words triggering as well. Okay. All right. <laughs> number 10. The phrase word and sacrament. <gasps> How dare you? Because uh, as much as I appreciate and love the word and sacraments and often probably use it myself. Yeah. Uh, so many times uh, and it is used without actually thinking. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I see what um, you mean. Or it could be used in a sermon. I'm talking, Ward is ta- talking here about the word and sacrament. And we take for granted people don't always know what that means. Mm, yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to 
you can, I mean, it, it can be overused and be kind of almost like a, a word that you just, well, obviously we're talking about word and sacrament without actually placing it in a context or in an understanding and just kind of blah. Yeah. You know, I probably use it a few times when our discussion of ministry and what are you administering? Now right. that would be a different context because we then are talking specifically administering the word and sacrament to, you mm-hmm. know, but, but that being said, I'm, I imagine you've heard it used where it's just word and sacrament managed without actually talking about the ministry, right? Like as a, we're supposed to talk about it and uh, uh, we're going to just place it there because we're supposed to without actually explaining, right? You know? Yeah. It comes off as if they said, we're doing church stuff. Right. And instead of the very specific things right. that those words are. So for example, mean. how many times, like in a sermon, I don't use that phrase at all. Have mm-hmm. you ever noticed that? It's hard to notice something that's missing, but, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> right. Does that mean I don't talk about them? No, of course. No. It doesn't mean so that. I, I'll talk about, this is, uh, you know, uh, like I did in the, the little sermonette, I talked about baptism. Yeah. This is what happens in baptism. Uh, I don't say, well, this is what God does in word and sacrament. Right. I say, this is how specifically in baptism, this is how it specifically in the Lord's Supper, in the giving of the body and the blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Sometimes I even say that instead of just Lord's Supper. Yeah. So it always has a, a context and always used in a way that is mindful of what is going on and just throwing those words out. And so, you know, I'm hope, maybe I'm ruffling some feathers when I, I, I have a list with uh, stewardship, <laughs> evangelism, witness, and then word and sacrament. But, but I think that happens a lot. And, and obviously we do have a word and sacrament ministry, but I think very often we could use those words too much without explanation and it can take a life of its own yeah number nine uh i'm i'm using one from hannah here that we've given enough discussion and that is discipleship Hmm. yeah and and as i was uh, thinking about that there is another aspect to that that we haven't talked about um because maybe we did but uh the confusion could also be in church. You have discipleship, and you also talk about church discipline. Oh, very re- related. A disciple is someone who follows or is disciplined. Right. When we talk about church discipline, we're not talking about a follower of Jesus. We're talking about someone who needs to repent. Right. And and so disciples, because those words are so close, have the same kind of root idea I do worry that overusing mm-hmm. discipleship can cause confusion about church discipline where, okay, we have church discipline. This is uh, something we must follow uh, to become better followers of Christ. No, that's not what church discipline is. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not quite punishment either because it's not, you wouldn't say we were somebody that was subject to church discipline. You wouldn't say the church was punishing them, would you? No, the church is being honest with them. Okay. And uh, seeks to to bring them back. Right. They're under God's judgment. Well, that makes sense, too, because a punishment could be like, okay, you this thing happened to you, and now your punishment is complete, and everything's okay again. And that's not what we mean by church discipline. Right. Right. 
Um, hmm. So that's that's I guess another aspect where the word discipleship can bring confusion. Number eight, leadership. That's that's a pretty good word. I'll have to. I'll be curious how you uh, disparage the word leadership. Okay, <laughs> because um, there has been over the last many many years. Okay, such an emphasis on leadership um, that it gets in the way. <laughs> Certainly, we need leaders, right? But here again, this is another place where vocation can be easily. Because you have a lot of things like leadership training. Like, where do you see leadership training? I have to admit, I've been to a lot of leadership training in my vocation, and I thought it was helpful. And there are things that you can get out of it that, not, you know, that you're not born with. So, so there's that. I think leadership training does okay. have some value. Okay. At the same time, though... Um, Leadership training can take the place of a confusion of what God commands and leadership training. So on the one hand, you have, well, how can we be good leaders? Right. Right? How many? How much of that and how to be a good leader is prescribed in the Bible? I'm thinking. <laughs> so it's kind of like being good stewards of God's creation, right? Uh, how... The Bible says, yes, be good stewards. It doesn't necessarily say whether to we should use gasoline engines or electric cars. It That's a debate. Right. right. Now, the Bible talks, does talk about being leaders. In fact, Hannah gave us a good passage about being leaders. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Some are called to be good leaders. Others are called to be helpers or followers. Right. And, um, and I suppose... Um, leadership can have an overemphasis where above other things in the church, where it's all about leadership. Let's teach everyone to be leaders. Yeah, and and it's kind of in some in some context, not necessarily what the way you were using it. Um, uh, as almost as an ego thing. Oh well, I want to be a leader, right? Um, and, and, and probably some of this comes with the fact that uh, maybe in you haven't heard of much of that used in churchly. I haven't heard it much in church. That's true. I only heard it from my right. prior. You no, know, you haven't heard. You know, there are places where it's like we're going to have a two-year leadership program. Wow. Okay. You know. Um, and and there are some things that certainly can be helpful, right? But uh, callings or vocations. To me, it is is a helpful way of talking about it, you know, according to where God has placed you. I'd like to, I'd kind of like to see the curriculum for a two year leadership program at a church, because <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to imagine like how that would go and what the desired result right. is. But. You know, one of the interesting about vocation, too, is this: there's something to being the fact that there's certain things about being a leader that you're kind of born with that you're given. There's some of it. That lends itself for people to kind of fall into the position of that vocation. Right. And then I think what I found, at least in my work, was that even if you had some inborn talent at, at leadership, you could always get better at it by by specifically working on some of those leadership skills. So 
That's how it was in my vocation. So maybe you stepped on my toes. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe if I was a better leader. Yeah. If you were a good leader. Show some leadership. Yeah, I wouldn't step on my toes. Had some leadership skills. Yeah. My, leadership's sk- my uh, leadership is sinking. <laughs> Should be a good steward of the vicars <laughs> with your leadership. <laughs> <laughs> right. Number seven. Spiritual. Ah, oh, yes. That's, that's overused. How do you think it's overused, vicar? To the point where it has no particular definition. I think, I mean, we said earlier, like when somebody proclaims themselves to be spiritual, but not religious, um, what are they trying to say? I think they're trying to say that, that they have a transcendent experience in life. I mean, it's just, it's very vague. I think they feel the same about uh, religion and God as I do about aliens. Okay. Uh, like Could they be out there? Maybe, probably not, but maybe. Who yeah, knows? yeah, and but it's fascinating topic, right? So I think it's that's part of it. It's a fascination. Um, yeah, I must where I see things that I can't explain. Yeah, I think yeah they want to sound profound and deep, but certainly not condemning or religious, and so they they carve off the two. Now I'm talking specifically though, okay, because my list is 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 dealing specifically with. Church, right? Okay. Okay. So the the context I'm not talking about just generally in the world or in okay. common vernacular. Right. I am talking about within the church, and this is why. When you talk about spirit, right? Ultimately, you're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. How does the Holy Spirit work? Is Hearing the gospel reading, a spiritual act. Yes. You don't get any more spiritual than that. The Holy Spirit works through the yeah, word. The word. Okay. Word and sacrament. Uh, in Ezekiel 37. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I just had to throw it out there. Right. You know. It's going to happen now. You're just going to like, you're going to have like a, it's going to look like you're have a buzzer on your neck because you, I don't, you can use the word, word and sacrament figure. Okay. <laughs> I, I probably won't use any other words from now but on. But just don't overuse it <laughs> oh. and just throw it out there like okay. it's... Like it's the answer to every single question. Right. Okay. Right. But spiritual. So so uh, people will say, um, oh, I like the old spirituals in the church. And so we do have some in the hymnal that are would be considered spiritual. Sure. Right. But I what mean, they mean by that is... Uh, a reflection of a specific emotion or feeling or heartfelt. Right. When, as though there is a disconnect uh, that if you sing something in a certain way, that's more spiritual way of singing it, rather than, well, actually the Holy Spirit is working through the Word of God, isn't it? So hearing the Word of God or being absolved of your sins by the voice of Christ, it doesn't actually get any more spiritual right. than that. Yet, because of the way people use that word, they'll say, well, I, I like a more spiritual type of a worship service. Do you think they just mean more, and even this word's not quite right, but liturgical? Is that what they mean when they say they want a more spiritual? No, the opposite, usually, if it's Oh, used. the opposite. They're going for more emotional and upbeat. Right. Got it. Right. So when 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 Paul talks about singing spiritual songs, 
we, I would take that to mean like a song about the word of God. Right. Not what this, this means to me. <laughs> what does this mean to me? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that word is been overused and misunderstood mm. in, in many ways because it's taking the using the word spirit and spiritual the way you would talk about a pep rally where you're building school yeah, spirit. school spirit, yeah. Okay. That that's not what it may that's not what spiritual means. Right. You know, I mean that's that's all over my my like backstory because when I first came to Lutheranism, it did seem to me, and I even said out loud at times that man, the the spirit is just dead in this place. When I first encountered the type of church services that the that is normal for Lutherans, and so I contrasted that with the Pentecostal experience, where I felt like, well, at least us Pentecostals are so happy about being at church that we you know we shout and jump and right. carry on. Do you we see were, what that what that exa- exactly how that word spiritual did to the Word of God? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we we substituted those emotions for for the word, and and I think even in the Lutheran Church, often that misuse has brought a lot of confusion on how people see what happens on Sunday morning right. and their word and sacrament ministry. Yeah, number six, ministry. <laughs> okay. Finally, right. Uh, I need to keep moving. Uh, if you want to know about what we talked about, go back to ministry, administration, the full explanation. Right. And then for a little bit more, we also talked about, we had a lovely email uh, talking more about uh, um, about this discussion. Go listen to those. That'll help you understand. But ultimately, when you talk about administry, you're talking about administering. Right. What are you administering? And to whom? Yeah. Number five. Purposeful. Oh yeah, now now it's business lingo. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Whenever time you 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 bring a, a business lingo into a church setting, it, it usually doesn't. What would be some other examples? You have purposeful, uh, mindful, uh, mission one. statements. Mm, yep, we had those. Right. Yep. Visions, vision statements, and mission statements. Right. Sometimes we get carried away with what's a mission statement and. <laughs> you know, were you trying to get on the same page? Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but purposeful. I don't know. Maybe I, I mean, that's not a good one. Damn. Well, there's intentional as a version of it that was also making right. rounds in the well, business world. Well, it probably had the purpose-driven life. Yeah, yeah, and our, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, my my LCMS church handed those books out. By the way. Oh. Yep. So we we all went through. The I actually had someone life. way way because that's old. That was actually a long time ago. Oh, yeah, maybe when it first came out, but this was semi-recently, like five years ago or something. Okay. I was given one of those. And uh, someone said, uh, well, we can just, uh, can't we just go through that and just kind of Lutheranize it a little bit? And I said, yeah, maybe when we're done, we can take the Book of Mormon and find some Lutheran shoes <laughs> in that too. That's a little harsh. You <laughs> made my point. Vicar, don't do that right away unless you know them very well and have a good rapport. Okay. Don't don't That's... just jump into an elders meeting and say, oh, yeah, why don't we just do the Book of Mormon too? Right. Just super yeah. sarcastic like that yeah. on like the second week yeah. I'm at my first Sa- church. Save that for, for your classmates. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Number four. The divine service. Oh, how can you say that? <laughs> the reason why is, is, uh, I agree. It is, it is the best word to describe way of describing 
our Sunday morning, right? We talk about God serving us, right? The divine service, God serving us, or Goddess Dienst, Goddess Dienst, the German for God serving us, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, and that's good. And I like that, and I like how it explains. It is uh, um, every every Sunday morning. It says divine service, right? Right. But there are times where it's used in just like the same way mm-hmm. word and sacrament is, where it's almost become a litmus test amongst people. Do you call it the divine service or not? Hmm. Without actually talking about it often. So it's almost a virtue signal rather than right. a content-laden phrase. Right. Now, I do I think every church in the Lutheran church be using it and uh, talking about it? Yes. But do I think also it's talked without actually thinking about it and explaining it? So... Well, Maybe that's just a me thing. No, but. I kind of wonder, like, if I, I have confirmation students, fifth, sixth, and seventh graders, and if I ask them, what is a divine service, I'd be curious what their answer is. Right. Maybe we've used that phrase so much in front of them that they, they know that it's a Sunday morning church service, but they don't know why it's called divine service, and that's it, you know? Right, right. And and so, you know, in a lot of ways, the divine service will, would confront everything when we talk about spiritual, mm-hmm. right? That, that that other word, right? It's it's the exact opposite, and I and we should be using it. Please don't listen. Don't right. Don't don't get it twisted. Right. But I fear that it can be used in such a way that it can take on a whole nother level of things, and we can make it such a loaded word that it loses the true meaning of it. Right. Because I guarantee you there are in other circles, there are people who hear the divine service. Oh, yeah, that means we have to chant everything. Right. Um, right. That is that what of, it means? Yeah. No, I mean, not really. So you see you see that point? Yeah. So it becomes a buzzword for uh, this means for some people, the way they have heard and understood this words, that the divine service is a high church thing. Right. It's fancy. Right. Right. Um, now, I would say the divine service, God serving us, does show that we you do it with respect because this is God coming to us to serve us, to right. wash us clean, to feed us his body and blood, to absolve us, to preach and speak his word. This is the heart of what it means to be spiritual mm-hmm. in his church. Yes, yes, and yes. But we can sometimes, as Lutherans, overuse it to mean a whole bunch of other things the word was never, and the phrase was never meant to say. Hmm. And that is my fear. And when we talk about wanting others to be able to use and grasp this word in other local, uh, Lutheran corners, okay, right, in, in other areas, well, if we want others to use this and, and, and uh, appreciate this, we need to make sure it's clear and not a loaded word or phrase hmm. that is going to be their evangelism word, their leadership word. Does that make sense? It does. I, I'm thinking about linguistic drift and how it might be impossible to prevent some of these things that you're talking about. I mean, you think about the word Catholic and how that one got away from us, and now we can't hardly use that word. And I just wonder, like, as, when words get used by more and more people, their meaning tends to drift, and I, I don't know. So so I fear that we're going to lose that word Okay. for some of those reasons. Right. Because we're, it means one thing and a very such a limited in how you do things and what you do that it becomes 
uh, not helpful anymore. It becomes a specific type yeah. of, of everything you do without actually at the heart is Christ serving us right. through his word and sacrament in a spiritual way. <laughs> See, that's leadership right there. Right. All right. I'm feeling very discipled right now. Number three. The word is tithe. Tithe? That word seems safe to me. It has a very specific meaning. All right. So how, what, how what does it mean to you? Uh, 10%. 10%. That's the engineering meaning of it. <laughs> okay. So so God commands or requests that we give 10%. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that, you know, I think that was the, an Old Testament hey, there you go. requirement. And that um, I think it's still a good pattern. Like the, the sure. Bible shows us some, some ways that we can please God. And so I think that's, we could, we could take a clue from that at least. Right. 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 Do you okay. think that's when people hear that? Is that how they understand it? Well, they probably Do you think hear it when as, it's used in churchly settings. That's mm, how it's understood. They might hear it as church tax. Right. <laughs> right. We remember that uh, uh, when we talk about the law, we talk about in the Old Testament specifically moral law. Mm-hmm. Right. We talk about ceremonial law. Yep. We talk about civil law. Right. Because because uh, when when God gave. The, the additional tithing, it was in the context of... Yeah, their civil government. The civil government and their ceremonial right. law, which right. we already talked about with Christ. We're not... Follow, we, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law, right? He doesn't right. demand that we are circumcised anymore because nope. Jesus was our perfect circumcision. Right. And so um, while it is good and, 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 uh, and good to give 10%, yeah. Right. But um, I, I do think that that word can often be used in a way. Uh, you know, how many times do it have I said it could be replace the vocation? Hmm. Right. Because, uh, you know, what that means, I think some there are people who have given less because of that word. In rebellion, do you think, or just... Out of curiosity, why would you hear the word tithe and, and specifically choose to give less because than Because I've given 10%. That's what's required of me. Like, like if, so let's say I had way more money than I had to do with. I won the lottery. I won $150 million. I did my duty. I gave the church 10%. Hmm. So they're not a cheerful giver, it doesn't sound like. <laughs> I'm fulfilling a requirement, a law. Right. Right? You know? You could say, well, you know, with that money, you could probably fund uh, an entire uh, way of training pastors in this part of the world, you know, you could and provide them materials, program. right? And you could do all those things. But yeah, but then I'm only required to give. Hmm. See, what it does is the way that word is often used, mm-hmm. it is used in a way, and that is often, well, how much do I have to forgive my brother? Right. It's a way of asking, what's the least I can do? Right. And that's usually if you're asking that question, you're on the wrong track. And I mean that across your entire life, whether with church or with work or anything else. If you're asking, what's the least I can do? You're, you're probably on the wrong track. So when the Bible talks about being a cheerful giver, it's not in the, the law of you have to do this. Right. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's loving for the sake of because Christ loved you. That's you freeze you by the gospel to give, to serve, 
in all sorts of ways. And tithing can be such a law-co-opted word that all of that can be lost yeah. by holding on to an Old Testament yeah. term. Uh, much of it was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Right. I'm not saying don't give. I'm not saying I'm placing giving in a different right. context of the gospel and how the gospel frees us to give, give. cheerfully. Right. Number two. Traditional slash contemporary. <laughs> no one knows what those words mean anymore. I know. It's funny. <laughs> you know how many times I've been on a vacation to a church that says, this is our traditional service, and it wasn't traditional. <laughs> and you know how many times I've, I've been on vacation, well, this is our contemporary service, and I poke my head in, and it wasn't very contemporary. Was well, it from the 80s? <laughs> Lutherans are horrible at being contemporary. <laughs> That's really funny. I really... I, go to a Baptist church. Okay. Go to a Baptist church. And go to their contemporary service. Like, go watch who's leading that contemporary church at a Baptist church. I guarantee you, their haircut is more, way more trendy than the pastor leading your contemporary service <laughs> at your Lutheran church. That, are you sure? Such a, he had a tattoo. <laughs> right. Right. It's such a loaded word. It doesn't yeah. mean anything anymore. It doesn't. And traditional also doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. It means when people use traditional, what, they tr what they're what they doing is they're taking the word of God out of it in a way. Mm. It's you're following this man-made tradition yeah. and idea that we can choose to be contemporary. And it, and it divides us. It it uh, places people in certain camps. And it, it, those words are done. They should be done. Okay? <laughs> I mean, it's helpful, like, when people want to use those words too much, you know, that's where divine service is helpful, right? Yeah. That's a way better word than traditional or contemporary. So how would you put on like, say a website about your church, your church's services so that somebody could read the words and understand they would know what to expect when they got here? Like, how would you describe the typical church service? So, so, so in other words, without using my buzzword. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. You that. can't you can't say spiritual or divine service or traditional contemporary. Um uh where two or three are gathered in my house, there I am with them. Hmm. That's where clever. two or three are gathered. why why that might be a good word is because, well, Jesus, it does cover the divine service in a way that people understand. Jesus coming for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Right? The gathering, uh, the word of God, the Lord's Supper. Um, and uh, you could use the word divine service in that setting if you explain it. Right. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, if you say that we are traditional, I suppose that's okay. But, but, no, but like I've said, a lot of people think they're traditional when they're not, and a lot of people think they're contemporary when they're not. Yeah. yeah. I, enc I encountered the phrase in, in Fort Wayne of, uh, oh, was it called mid-century? I can't remember. Like, I went to a local church there, and it was described to me as, oh, yeah, that's a good one if you want. It was like Middle Missouri. Have you heard that phrase before? Yeah. That's what it was. Middle Missouri. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? And it just meant that, I mean, I think it kind of meant that it was by the book, I guess. And right. 
um, and maybe not much different than you would have seen 40 years ago or something. It was, they, they weren't innovating past, I mean, not that they, that I wanted them to or anything, but I was just trying to, I'm trying to use words now to describe what that phrase meant because <laughs> it was a little lost on me having. Yeah, I'm, not, not, I'm not trying to t- tongue tie people and be scared to use <laughs> these words. I just say like for some of these, just use them with a little more thought. Okay. But, so, but, but in the traditional contemporary, I mean, like here's something that's never been said by anyone currently under the age of 45. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I want a contemporary service. <laughs> Peter, have you ever heard anybody your age ask for that or talk about that or use that phrasing? Uh, no. No, I think this was like um, a movement, if I can call it that, specifically for our generation, Generation X. And it's X. divided us. And It's um, made us into right. groups. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm done with them. Mm. There you go. Got it. Uh, number That was number two, right? It was. So uh, I'll have to throw one of them in honorable mention. Uh, I'm going to throw into honorable mention conflict resolution. Oh, that's another business one. Okay. Reason why is it, it, it sometimes conflict is revolu- resolution should be replaced by discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes yes. conflict resolution should be replaced by repentance. Right. Conflict resolution means, well, I did my thing, you did a thing, and we should find a way to... Get along. And and there are times where certainly it is necessary to use and to talk about and go through the process. Yeah. For sure. But at the same time, it, it has become a loaded word often where it, it keeps people from looking in the mirror. Hmm. I mean, I see it as just a phrase you put on your resume if you're trying to get you're hired. You're good at conflict resolution. Yeah, you have experience in conflict resolution. That means that, supposedly, I think it means that you know that you can talk to people when they need to be talked to. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, and I think we have better words. Repentance. Yeah. Brotherhood. Right. You know, all sorts of things. I think, I don't want to abandon the word. I'm not saying that. Okay. But be mindful ah, how you're using it. Mindful. Right. Use it. In proper context, like don't purposefully. overuse it. Yes, purposefully. <laughs> Use the, the traditional sense of the word yeah. conflict resolution. Got it. To show some leadership skills. <laughs> I love okay? it. In your ministry. And number one. Anything that begins with uh, an emphasis on the word the, like the story. Hmm. <laughs> The, I think, maybe I'm trying to get too clever here. But. No, you got to explain it now. This is no. So I was, I thought you meant like church names where they, they go off and call themselves the river or, yeah, you know, the rock, be. you know. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of get what you're trying to say. I'm trying to think if I can help you put you words know, I, on I, it. I, I might backtrack this. I might, I might just throw a conflict resolution as the one because as I think about it, there are times where it's helpful, like when we talk about the holy ministry, right? That means we're or being very the specific, right? divine call, right? Yeah. So in those f- phrases where you're really talking about something specific and very important to, to, to try and muddle through the confusion that we have, right? Mm-hmm. So the holy ministry, the divine service, all right? Those are some things specific, right? Yeah. You're saying... 
there's only one ministry, right? Word right. and sacrament. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then you use it like the story, which is um, can be something where it's, this is the real story of, of Jesus and God. Which, which which your Bible does, and, and that programs that I've he- heard sometimes can be, you know, uh, or just times where the word the is just so overemphasized now, this is a real thing when it's not. Hmm. I don't know if I like my number one. Yeah, there, I was, I'm thinking there, there was a Bible translation called The Book. Remember the that? Book? Yeah, mm. I don't remember if that was a good translation or not, but there's right. The Book. Where it places an emphasis, uh, and, and and I think the in a couple of few instances is very important, but another instance the overemphasis on the is I don't know. Yeah, listener, know. what do you think? Yeah, I might have, uh, I, I I might have ended my twelve with a stinker. Well, is, oh, wow. so is Bullhagen onto something? Is he the man? <laughs> the myth. The legend, the super Scott Sterling. <laughs> that's a that's a reference. I wonder how many people get that one. I, I have no idea what he's talking about. It was funny, so I laughed. But it, all right, <laughs> well, we need to sign off so we could show you the video. Yeah, we could watch you. We could watch this. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. This is Vicker. And uh, May. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Did we come up with a name for the top 12? Oh, oh yeah. The, the top yeah, 12. I like it. The top 12 trite, trite traps. Trite traps. <laughs> the top 12 tight, trite traps. Just if nothing else is fun to try to say. Uh, how about this? Top 12 examples of that words matter. Whoa. Examples uh, that words matter? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hold on, I'm hold keeping on. all this in. This all right. is... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, we need your help. Yes, save us. Yes, uh, please. Uh, if you could uh, give us the title of this, that would be Not amazing. Not just Hannah, anybody. Anybody. Yes, maybe you could find it in your ministry to give clever titles to. <laughs> you could be Baker, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, if they That's what I was to... trying to do originally anyways. Oh, okay. Well, they can reach us by email, feedback at clericalerrors.org, on Facebook, Look up Clerical Errors Podcast, and on Twitter, our handle is at Clerical Errors P. P for podcast, bro. We also have a Patreon and a store that you could find on our website, clericalerrors.org. How are we doing on the store? Are we get a lot of Christmas sales this year, Vicar or Peter? Still haven't, still haven't <laughs> checked. Sorry, we're really late now, so we should actually. <laughs> All right. Right on. All right. Uh, thank you for listening, and may your titles be coherent. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.